0: Well, this is our last part of Love Revolution, and tonight we're going to look at the two short letters that John wrote. We call them 2nd and 3rd John, and uh, as I've mentioned in basically every part of this series, uh, every bit of John's writing is kind of uh, pushed and crammed into the very last few years uh, at the end of his life, and also kind of the last few years of the New Testament. Um, We don't hear anything really from John up until this. His gospel was written at the end of the New Testament era, at the end of the first century. So although the events happened 60 years earlier, he just never wrote them down. Uh, Peter and and Paul have done uh, most of the preaching. Paul's done most of the writing. But as we've mentioned every week, uh, you've got to get this image in your mind. They are gone. In fact, they've been gone For 30 years, it was in the 60s, sometime about 30 years after the day of Pentecost, that Matthew and Mark and Luke and James and Jude and all of those people, all the apostles were martyred somewhere in the 60s, 30 days after Pentecost, and now another 30 years has passed, and John is the last man standing. He's the sole surviving apostle of the first century, and it's been that way for three decades. He's now in his 90s. He's an old man with a lifetime of experience and a love for the truth. And that's why his two shorter letters, what we call 2nd and 3rd John, they come simply from the elder. 2nd John is addressed to the lady and her children. Now, we're not sure. People have batted this back and forth for 2,000 years. ...of church history. We're not sure if John is speaking literally to a godly mother and her children... ...or if he's speaking figuratively to a local church assembly and the saints, the children that are part of that spiritual family. We're we're not sure. But it could be both because churches at that point in history, they actually met in homes. So whether it's a mother and her children that he's addressing or a church and its saints, or both, a church and its saints that meet in the house of a mother with children. It could be all of the above. Regardless, John's message is the same. He doesn't want any of the false doctrines that are floating around at the end of the first century to be permitted among these believers. Four times in just 13 verses in this second letter, John will use the term truth. In his gospel, he tells us that Jesus is the truth. He tells us that the word of God is truth. And he tells us that believers, each and every one of us, have been given the spirit of truth. And in his first longer letter that we just finished studying... He told us emphatically, in fact, multiple times that we don't just need to know the truth. We need to love the truth and we need to live the truth. Now, John didn't pull punches. He called the false teachers of his day deceivers and antichrists. He would not tolerate their teaching or even their presence in the church. And he is the apostle of love. But to John, there was a a deadly, eternal difference between truth and error. And so John came to this conclusion. As long as I have breath, I will not let the church fall into error on my watch. Can I tell you that every great pastor, every good man or woman of God that tries to lead a local assembly, if they're worth their salt at all, they have that same determination. As long as I have breath in my body and strength to preach, I will not allow the church to fall into error on my watch. And so John begins, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. John, did you say truth enough in just a couple of verses? He's headed for a conclusion that he wants us to grasp. There is an unexplainable, undeniable affinity, a fellowship among those who love The truth of God's Word. And we are among those believers around the world today in our generation. We love. The truth. We thank God for it. We rejoice over it. We want everybody to know about it. We sing about it. We preach about it. And we, like John, have little patience for those who devalue truth, who misrepresent it, who walk away from it, or who try to oppose it. We just don't have a lot of patience with that. And John doesn't either. Grace be with you, mercy. And peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth, there he goes again, and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Have you said truth enough yet, John? You see, John told us in his first letter, the greatest revelation of truth is Jesus. Who was God manifest in the flesh? The Christian faith either stands strong or crumbles like dust on the deity of Jesus. If he was not God, we are still in our sins. If he was not God, there is no heaven. If he was not God, there is no hell. And if he was not God, there is no point of the church. But I'm glad to announce to you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And because he was God, every Everything matters. John will repeat this in his next letter that we'll look at in a moment in 3 John. He says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. There is no greater joy than to see those in our earthly family and those in our spiritual family walk in truth. Few things break the heart of a godly parent or a godly pastor like watching people you know, people you love, choose to walk away from the church and the word of God. It is heart-wrenching to watch that. Do not fail to pray for those people that you know and you love. Because prayer is a weapon. It is not just a devotional moment for the beginning of your day or the ending of your day. Prayer is a weapon. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Study that passage sometime. Strongholds is not some kind of fortress built out of stone. A stronghold is some kind of mentality that gets in someone's mind and they cannot overcome it seemingly. It gets in someone's mind and it twists them into something that they never were before. They used to love God. Now they don't have any use for him. They used to love church. Now they've walked away. But we have weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is literally a mindset. So I know that they're not thinking right. I know they're not acting right. But instead of getting mad at them, go to prayer and love them enough to pray for them and go to war for their soul. I have no greater joy. I rejoice greatly when I found your children walking in truth. Now, walking is a Jewish idiom for living. If you say, I'm walking with God, that means literally I'm living for God. And how do we know people are walking and living in truth? Well, John just said it here. We see them obeying the commandments that God has given. That's how you know they're walking in truth, when they obey God's commandments. We can say, well, I love truth, and we can mean it in a general way. But the real question is this, what are you doing with God's specific commandments, with the Bible's specific commandments? It's easy to say in a generic general way, well, I love the truth, But if you don't obey God's commandments, that's His truth. The commandments of God, the laws of God, are the specific outgrowth of His truth. John says that the commandments come from the Father. When commandments come from our Heavenly Father, they are the same as commandments coming from your loving earthly Father. They are an expression of His love, not just His law. And that's why we obey them out of love and not just out of law. In every generation, false teachers, they twist it and they malign it and they try to morph it into something sinister. In every generation, John's generation, right up to our generation, false teachers try to make God's commandments appear harsh and difficult. And then after they've done this twist job, this morph job on the Word of God, and they've tried to make God's commandments appear harsh and difficult to do, then they offer their converts freedom. Freedom from God's commandments, which, of course, are too hard and too difficult. So we don't have to do that anymore. We can be free. And their new freedom is really just the old sinful bondage that they were once delivered from. Let me tell you something. Obedience to God is the greatest freedom. Obedience to God is the most wonderful experience. Peter said it this way. He said... Those false teachers, they promise people liberty. But while they're preaching that message of freedom and liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Because Peter said, For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. So you can talk freedom all you want. But if you're still bound by all the habits you used to have when you were in the world, you don't have freedom. You've been overcome by those sins. Those sins control you. Jesus' Spirit doesn't control you. The world teaches us in hundreds of subtle ways that love is a feeling. For heaven's sake, we're coming up to Valentine's Day this weekend. Every song, every card, every piece of candy teaches you that love is a feeling. But John said, no, I'm giving you a command to love. You are commanded to love God, to love one another, and to love God's commandments. And this isn't a new concept. John learned this years before from no less than Jesus himself. And so he says, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. This isn't something you've never heard of. But it is that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk. Remember, walking in Jewish thinking is living. That we walk or we live after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, You should walk in it. You should live it. This is John's constant theme, written across his three letters and written in his gospel. In the Bible, love is not an emotion. Love is an act of our will. In the Bible, love means treating other people not the way they treat you, but the way God has treated you. It's a little easier to love someone who's unlovable when you love them the way God loved you when you were unlovable. So here's what the Bible teaches us. Choose to ignore your feelings and choose to love them. But John goes on. It's not just about feelings and emotions and human relationships. It's the same with God's commandments. Ignore your feelings Ignore the opinions of others, ignore the world, and make a choice to obey God's commandments. If you love them, if you love truth, if you love Jesus, make a choice to obey God's commandments. But it's hard. No, it's not. We've been conditioned by all kinds of voices to think that obeying God's commandments are hard when God's commandments put a fence around you to protect you from all the garbage and junk that is in the world. They're not hard. They are not a burden. They are a blessing. They are not poison to us. God's commandments are a privilege to obey. And so John talks about this. And he's serious, folks. Now, remember, this is the apostle of love, okay? Here he goes. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. You don't have to wait for 666 and for one world leader and for one world government and for some mark that you take in your hand or your forehead. No, there's already false doctrine, false teachers, false movements, false prophets. There's already all of that. And John, he just points them out. He said, that's a deceiver. That's an antichrist. Now, the word deceiver here implies far more than false doctrine. It's not just teaching false doctrine. This word actually also means leading people into wrong living. It's not just what they say. It's their influence. It's how they lead people into wrong living. Because what you believe always will impact how you behave. You can't separate them. You believe something long enough, it will affect how you behave. Wrong teaching and wrong living go together. Now, here's the question, and this is why John is so ramped up. Where did these false teachers come from? Where did these false prophets and false doctrines come from? This is why the apostle of love is pretty agitated, because these false teachers and false prophets and false doctrines came from the church. That's why he's so upset. True believers leave the world and enter into the church. But false teachers, John said, they leave the church and they enter into the world. He said, many deceivers, they've left here and they've entered back into the world. Now in John's day, these people still said they believed in Jesus, but they misinterpreted nearly everything about him especially the revelation that Jesus is almighty God. And the apostle of love says there are many of those people, and he calls them deceiver and antichrist. And John wasn't the only one. He was just the last one of the first century. Paul said this, I know that after my departing, after I die, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, the church, and they won't spare the flock. They will wreak havoc, and there will be carnage and devastation that follows them. They'll be like ravenous wolves. Also, this must have been hard for him to look at those Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He knew he was headed to Rome. He knew he probably wouldn't survive his incarceration there. He knew the empire itself was gunning for him, and it probably was a Uh, an emotional meeting when he looked at them and he said, I know after I depart, after I die, there's going to be wolves that attack the church and this must have hurt even more. Also of your own selves, it'll be people that you sat in a church with. It'll be people that you sang songs about Jesus with. It'll be people that you prayed with. Also of your own selves shall men arise, and they will speak perverse, distorted, twisted things. And the whole motive will be to draw away disciples after them. That's exactly what John was facing with that group we already talked about called the Gnostics. They didn't believe The oneness of God. They didn't believe that Jesus was Almighty God. They still used the name Jesus, but they meant something different. They still talked about the church, but it meant something different. They had false doctrine. John called them a deceiver and an antichrist. And Paul foresaw the same thing coming. And so John gives a warning. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. What do you do, John? Because we, like you, live in an era of complacent, carnal, compromised Christianity. So, John, what do we do? Well, he has the answer. You watch yourself. You be careful. You walk circumspectly. You keep your eyes on heaven. Make sure you're going to receive a full reward when you get over there. Watch yourself. Keep your eyes on heaven. And don't lose the things that the elders taught and accomplished among you. He says, Don't lose the things which we, the apostles, the leaders, have wrought. Be very careful around anybody that wants to diss the elders and disrespect the pioneers and act like, well, they were old fogy and they were kind of hokey and they really didn't know what they were doing. So thank God we have come along to improve the church and do it better. If you get around anybody and they have that spirit, you need to immediately talk about social distance. How about a little spiritual distancing? You just need to pull back, put on your mask, a set of earplugs, fl- and a blindfold. That's how much you need to spiritually... Distance from somebody like that. John had it in his generation. He said, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. They can talk religion, they can talk Christianity, but they don't have God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. The danger is that false teachers and all of their followers eventually They transgress when it comes to doctrine. Everyone say transgress. That's what they do. Now the word transgress means to step over a line, to run ahead too far, to pass over assigned limits. Apostates, which are people who've left apostolic truth and doctrine, that's what the Bible calls them, apostates, they try to make us believe that they are progressive while the apostolic church is stuck in a rut. They invite us to join them because they have new freedom, while the poor apostolic church is stuck in bondage. But John said, no, that's all false progress and false freedom. Those were the tactics of the Gnostics in John's day, and they are still the tactics of many false teachers in our day as well. So, John, practical question here. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, I don't know if you want his answer or not. Here's what he says. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine you heard from us and the doctrine that that we got from Jesus, if they come and try to bring any other doctrine, they're not bringing this doctrine. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Thank you, Mr. Apostle of love. Now in the New Testament, Hospitality was an important ministry. Uh, In fact, I've got about five references here. I won't bother you. There's Romans and 1 Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter and Hebrews. They say be given to hospitality, the ministry of hospitality. Hospitality was a very important ministry. It wasn't just shaking your hand and passing you a bulletin when you came into a church building. Hospitality was actually taking people into your home because there were very few inns where travelers could safely stay. And there were even fewer places where Christian travelers could stay and keep away from all the evil and the debauchery of the world. This is the Roman Empire. So traveling pastors and teachers, they needed homes to stay in. And those who showed them hospitality, John would call them fellow helpers to the truth. You're actually part of their ministry as they travel around and teach the church and pastor saints and raise up new churches. You're fellow helpers to the, to the truth because you take them into your house. But this is exactly where discernment was needed because a household could be inadvertently helping a false teacher spread false doctrine. And that's a problem. So John says, if you detect that they don't really believe this, they don't really believe the doctrine that we taught you, that the apostles gave to you. Two things, don't receive them and don't bless them. Don't, don't bid them Godspeed. That's blessing them as they go on their way. That could be blessing them by giving them money. That could be blessing them by providing them something. Or it could be simply praying for them or or being kind to them, sending them on their way. This is the apostle of love. This isn't me. Don't look at me like that. I can see those eyes over that mask. This is not me. This is the apostle of love who said, if anybody comes anywhere around and they don't believe this apostolic doctrine, You don't receive them, and don't you dare bless them. That's what he said. Why was John so adamant about this? Because he didn't want God's people to, number one, give a false teacher the impression that your heresy is no big deal. Their heresy was a big deal. So don't you be kind of, you know, palling around with them, acting like, you know, they they don't even believe that Jesus is God, and, and you're their best friend. Like, quit that. Don't do that. And secondly, he didn't want God's people to become infected with all those false doctrines through close fellowship. You take somebody into your house, they stay there for weeks or months, you've got them right underfoot, you could be infected with that false doctrine. You know what? I've seen that in this day and age. People get hanging around somebody that, you know, they've just got a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of issues with Christianity, with doctrine, and with the Bible, and and before you know it, that person that you thought was strong and solid in the faith, they're spouting all this nonsense, well, Jesus isn't maybe the only way to God, and 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 the Bible parts of it probably aren't true. And before you know it, you're hearing echoes of the false doctrine, the false teacher that they've invited into their sphere of influence. And then, John was probably adamant for another reason. Don't give a false teacher ammunition to use at the next house they stop at. See, a false teacher loves to say, well, I stayed at Pastor Raymond's house, and, and I was there for a month, and he gave me an offering, and he, he treated me as a brother, so you should too. And Pastor Raymond could have been oblivious. And so John said, you've got to be careful about these dudes. You've got to be careful about false teachers and false prophets and false doctrines because either you could be corrupted, or that false teacher carries on their false doctrine without ever being challenged because you weren't bold enough to say anything, or you could just send them on their way, and then somebody else says, well, I guess it's no big deal. Pastor Raymond did it. Pastor Jack did it. Do you understand that we guard this pulpit in this church? Not everybody that just wants to come by here and preach to you, precious people, gets to come by here and preach to you. We guard this pulpit. It's going to be somebody that believes apostolic doctrine to the very best of our discernment and ability and checking and rechecking. They're going to believe apostolic doctrine from the top of their head to the sole of their little feet. Furthermore, they're going to be living this, not just believing in it. They're going to be living it because this is a sacred trust when we bless somebody By letting them have a voice in our church, in our lives, in our families. Now, we live in a day that's similar to John's because there's a lot of false doctrine floating around, but we're different. In fact, we're way worse in one way is that now we have media. And through media, all kinds of false doctrine can float into your home. Now, I'm not a radical, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a hardliner that says, you know, don't ever watch any kind of Christian programming even if they're not... No, I'm not like that. However, I will say, if you're going to listen to every voice that's on some kind of Christian media, Christian TV, Christian radio or whatever else, if you're going to listen to all those voices, you best have yourself one good strong apostolic filter. Because there's a lot of junk that floats around under the guise of Christianity. And it doesn't even reflect the Word of God. In fact, I've heard this with my own ears. People on Christian media that go, that they're pastors, they go on the attack against the Word of God. And you've heard them too. They go on the attack against speaking in tongues. They go on the attack against holiness. They go on the attack against so many things that apostolic people hold precious, not because they're part of our tradition, but because they're in the Word of God. So it may be fine for you to listen to that, but some of you have kids. And if all they get is You know, they get one hour of one of the pastors preaching on Sunday, or maybe less now that it's COVID 19 restriction. And they've got multiple hours of all kinds of voices and all kinds of preachers and all kinds of services. And they're all very slickly produced and they come from big mega churches and whatever. You best watch your home. See, John, he didn't have so much of an issue that they were floating around. It's like, They're out there. I know they're out there, but don't let them in our church and don't let them in your house. That's the issue. That's the issue. And so I'm not being a hardliner or some kind of radical. I'm just saying, if you're an apostolic believer, you be careful, especially if you have younger, impressionable voices in your house. Be very careful. So John is not saying, please hear me. He is not saying, only have apostolics in your house. It's not what he's saying. We're trying to reach a world. If you're that office, you're not helping. He's not saying, only have apostolics in your house. That's ridiculous. No, he's not warning us about people that don't know this truth. He's warning us about people that do know very well about this truth, and they've decided to attack it, to leave it, to spurn it. And now they're trying to seduce others away from truth. He said, those are the people you be careful of. Those are the people you watch for. He's not saying only have apostolic people in your home. Some of us, we've got relatives that aren't apostolic. We've got friends and neighbors that aren't apostolic. Of course, you need to have them in your home. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about people that have a sinister agenda against truth. He ends by saying this. After all of this, it's kind of like a downer ending. I have many other things to write to you, but I'm not going to write with paper and ink. But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect, sister, greet thee. Amen. Uh, He's either saying, your sister, I know her kids, or they're here where I'm writing this from, or he's saying, you know, the saints from another church greet you, and we're not sure what. So that's the ending. So. We're going to transition immediately into 3 John because there's a, a beautiful contrast here. Whether John is writing to a church and its saints or to a mother and her children, this principle taught in 2 John is true. Whether we're talking about pastors protecting churches or parents protecting homes, the principle is the same be vigilant about the people, the voices, and the influences that you allow to come into your house. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Be very careful about the voices and the people and the influences you allow to come into your house. In 2 John, the battle for truth and the battle against apostasy is being fought in the home. Whether it's a mother and kids or whether it's a church meeting in a home, it's being fought in a home. But in Third John, the very same battle for truth and against apostasy is definitely this time being fought in the church. And this letter is addressed to Gaius, who was one of the leaders of the assembly. The elder, there he is again, John. The elder, he's the only one left. The elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, John, have you said a truth enough yet? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Before you pin that on your fridge magnet, read the rest. Even as thy soul prospereth. John loves Gaius because he is in the truth. And he prays for wealth and health for him on one condition even as thy soul prospereth. Unless your soul is prospering, wealth and health can become curses to you instead of blessings. I couldn't tell you over the past 35 years of ministry how many people got something they thought was so tremendous. It was a business. It was a job. It was a career move. It was an increase in salary. It was some opportunity. I cannot tell you it numbers at least in the dozens and dozens, if not in the hundreds, people that lost out with God over time because they thought God was blessing them with a business or with a career move. They thought... God was blessing them with wealth and health and all the time their soul wasn't prospering. It's wonderful to be healthy. It's wonderful to have wealth, to have possessions, to to not be struggling. That's so awesome. And John said, Gaius, you're a leader. I'm praying for you that you have wealth and health. I'm praying that you prosper and that you're in health, but only as your soul prospers. Let's get our priorities straight. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in them. Have you said truth enough yet, John? When the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Gaius has a good testimony Because he walks in, watch this, the truth. Everybody say the truth. We get slammed because we reference the truth. We get mocked a little bit sometimes because we're talking about the truth. But please notice, and you can notice this in many places in your New Testament, a lot of times the definite article the precedes the word truth. It occurs regularly in the New Testament. Many teachings contain truth. But when you see the truth in the New Testament, it's referring to apostolic doctrine as a whole. And so, yes, we proudly stand without embarrassment or shame, and we say we love the truth because the truth is God's Word, the apostolic message as a whole. It's not just truth. It's truth that the moon's up there and the earth's down here. That's truth, but it doesn't save my soul. But when you put that definite article in front of truth and it becomes the truth and you're talking about the word of God, now my soul is saved because the truth includes repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It includes hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It includes so many beautiful things. The truth. And so we unashamedly say, yes, we believe the truth. The truth refers to apostolic doctrine as a whole. It is the truth first delivered by the apostles. John said, I have no greater joy. I can't think of anything else on this planet that gives me more joy than to hear that those that I taught are still walking in truth. I feel the very same way when I think about my children and little grandchildren knowing about apostolic doctrine and truth and having an apostolic experience in their homes. I feel the very same way. And you know what else? I'm a pastor, so I feel the very same way about our church. There is nothing that gives my heart more joy than to see new believers growing and believers that have been around a while, standing strong and firm in incredible trials that life has thrown at them. Losses and heartbreaks and heartaches, all kinds of situations and difficulties and trials. It gives me no greater joy than to see people who've made up their mind to serve God. Come hell or high water, they're still walking in the truth. They're still loving the truth. I have no greater joy. Beloved, thou doest faithfully. Remember, he's still talking to Gaius, who is the leader of this little church group. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Gaius wasn't just a hearer of the word. He was a doer of the word. It's obvious from this verse when it talks about uh, bringing them forward on their journey. He was obviously given to hospitality. He obviously housed itinerant preachers as they traveled through his city, strengthening the church. And what a blessing his personal ministry was to the entire body. That's Gaius. He's a good guy. Because that for his namesake. He didn't do it for his reputation or so somebody would know his name or we could read about him 2,000 years later. No, he did it for Jesus' namesake. Because that for his namesake, that's why they went forth, watch this, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. There's that phrase. These traveling teachers, they're not false prophets. These traveling teachers, they're not spreading false doctrine. They are being used to spread the gospel and to, and to strengthen the churches. They are the real deal. And so anything Gaius did to bless them made him and his family fellow helpers to the truth. It was Jesus who taught, the laborer is worthy of his hire in Luke 10.7. And so John amplifies that concept to say, ministers of the gospel should take, quote, nothing of the Gentiles. In other words, the church should support its own ministers to avoid criticism, to avoid solicitation of money from the world, to avoid misunderstandings, and mostly to avoid allegations of mixed motives from the world. You're only preaching the gospel because you're getting rich. So, so, so John says... They should be able to go forth and preach. We should be able to send missionaries and church planners and evangelists. And they shouldn't have to depend on some handout from the world to do their ministry because that can be quickly misinterpreted and totally misunderstood. So we need to support our own. Paul was another writer in the New Testament who made it very clear that those who receive spiritual blessings from their church and their pastors, they should turn around and support their church and their pastors with material blessings. Here's what he said, Galatians 6, verse 6, Let him that is taught in the Word communicate, give back unto him that teacheth in all good things. There should be a communication there that the word goes from your pastors and from your church and you turn around because you appreciate the word and you appreciate the ministry and you love the church and you communicate back. And that's talking about them giving you spiritual direction and you helping by sustaining your church with material things. 1 Corinthians 9 Paul said about himself and his own ministry: If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing? In the Greek, that in the Greek language, that's is it any big deal? Not really, but close. Is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If we've put time and energy and a lifetime of ministry into delivering the word of God to you, is it any big deal that God would expect you to now support your church and? the ministries of your church with your carnal things, with finance. I'll say a very strong statement here. I don't think I have any issue in this crowd. It is totally unbiblical for Christians to send their tithes and offerings all over the world while they neglect to support the ministry of their local church. There's very little that's any more unbiblical in Christian practice than that. The tithe belongs to the storehouse where we are fed. So, you know us, we send money all over the world. We support missionaries and church planners and we send money to help churches and, oh my goodness, we're we're just all about that. But not before we do this. And so this, the reason we're able to do that is because you people have caught the vision of giving into your local church. I don't have a problem with this crowd when I say that. But there are some people today, they support every televangelist and radio preacher and everything else, and their poor pastor has one shoe that has a sole in it, (laughs) one suit that has one leg in it, and he's just trying to make ends meet, and that is an absolute crime biblically, and that is not the kind of church that we have. Thank God, and thank the Word of God for that. Now... Unfortunately, you may have have discerned this during your living for God. If you've lived for God more than mm, three minutes, you've probably discerned this. Not everybody in a local church is like faithful Gaius. Many church congregations have members like another guy who's named in this letter. His name is Diotrephes. And he always wants to have things his way. People like diotrophies. Now, I know you wouldn't know anybody by name, but you can just call them diotrophies for tonight. And if they weren't here tonight, even better, because you could like slip and call them Diotrephes on the phone tomorrow and they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. Many church congregations have members that aren't like Gaius. They're like Diotrephes. They always want to have their own way. They think they have some kind of spiritual seniority, so they're the boss. They frequently become critical. They want to control the pastors. They think they're somehow exempt from submitting to the teachings of the church. That's Diotrephes. And here's what John said I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, he receiveth us not. He wouldn't even have lunch with the Apostle John. Alice Roosevelt Longworth once made this comment about her father, President Theodore Roosevelt. President Roosevelt was a wonderful man, I am sure, but he loved to be the center of attention. He loved it. He's perfectly fitted for the presidency, apparently. And Alice Roosevelt Longworth made this comment about her father. This is where it came from. She said, quote, My father always has to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. That's the spirit of Diotrophes. He loved to have the preeminence. Preeminence literally means the desire to be first, the love of having the highest rank or position you see john was there he remembers it like yesterday but it was 60 years ago he was there when he and the other disciples had near fist fights arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom and jesus had to set them straight so now 60 years later john easily recognizes this prideful controlling spirit. Diotrephes would not even have fellowship with the Apostle John. He receiveth us not, John said, most likely because John's apostolic authority challenged the carnal spirit that was in charge of Diotrephes' life. And that happens more often than you might think today. And the most common indicator of a Diotrephes' spirit is criticism of the church, its pastors, and its saints. That is the most common indicator of a deatrophies spirit. John says, Wherefore, if I come, when I get there, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, that wasn't enough, Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and he forbiddeth them that would receive the brethren, and he kicks them out of the church. John says, I will deal with him when I get there. He knew firsthand that Diotrephes had lied about the leadership. Malicious words. He knew firsthand that Diotrephes had gossiped about the leadership. Prating against us. That's gossip. And he knew firsthand that Diotrephes had undermined the leadership. He said, it's not just talk, the deeds that he does, they undermine the leadership. And if that wasn't enough, now Diotrephes was trying to literally control the assembly. He refused to house these traveling ministers. But it was far worse than that. He tried to talk about it until others would refuse to house them. And he even tried to prevent them from ministering to the church in the first place. His ego was out of control. Most of the distress, division, and destruction faced by any local church family is not the result of the devil's attacks. It's simply the result of personality clashes out of control. My elders, my precious and esteemed elders used to tell me, flesh is flesh. If there are people, there will be problems. And some of my elders are a little more colorful than that. Like Brother Lee Stoneking who says, Raymond, when people are stupid, that's job security for you. And all of what I just said is absolutely true. Flesh is flesh. And if there are people, there will be problems. And yes, the stupidity of people is job security for me. So, done. Good. It's absolutely true. But there's nothing written in the stars that says, you have to be diatrophies. Let somebody else be that stupid guy. You don't have to be the rebel. You don't have to be the critic. You don't have to be the gossip. You can be like Gaius that the church depended on. You can be like Gaius that the church rallied around. You can be like Gaius who built up the church and its pastors and its leadership and its ministries. You can be like Gaius that invested not just his money, but himself and his family and his house in making sure the gospel got shared. That can be you. And when Paul talks about Diotrephes, he says, beloved Follow not that which is evil, that's Diotrephes, but follow that which is good, that's Gaius. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Don't follow people like Diotrephes. John says. They are evil and they don't know God. But how can you recognize them, John? Watch this. Watch how they respond to the word of God and the spirit of God. And you'll know whether they're a diotrephes or a Gaius. Listen. Listen to how they talk about the church and the pastors and the saints. If they're critical, that's a dead giveaway. You can tell by watching them how they respond and by listening to them how they talk. You can tell if they're a diotrephes. Or a Gaius. And John said, if they bend toward and lean toward the spirit of Diotrephes, steer clear of them. They are not of God. They are evil. Hmm. I I have time for this, I think. (laughs) We have had a little laugh at our place once in a while. Uh, and, and it started at, at, at just a, a wonderful social occasion somebody was having, and it was one of those big parties, and they were recognizing people and whatever. And it, in this case, it was uh, some uh, parents, and the, the children got up at this function and said, you know, they have never, one after another they said this, because there were more than one, one child. And one after another they said, I've never heard my parents say a negative word about anyone. Well, number one, I knew it was a lie because I've heard their parents talk. And (laughs) I told you I had time for this. But number two, I went home and I said to Beverly, don't ever let it be said at my funeral that I never said a negative word about anybody. I've said lots of negative words about people, especially to my children whom I love. Don't be like them. They're an idiot. Don't be like them. They don't listen to pastors. Don't be like them. They don't worship. Don't be like them. They haven't moved off that pew for 50 years. Don't be like them. If you ever hear my beloved children get up at my funeral and say, Dad never said a word negative about anybody, take a tomato and throw it at them because they are lying to you. And you need to say some negative things about false teachers and false doctrine and people that criticize pastors and rip apart churches and and, and pollute the atmosphere with their tongue. You need to tell your kids or your spouse or whoever you've got any influence over, don't be like them. They're not of God. That's evil. And if you doubt that that's evil, try reading the New Testament. You'll find out what God thinks about it. There, I had time for that. Now we're good. Everybody take a deep breath and we're finished. Verse 12. There's another guy in this church. So thank God the good people outnumber the bad people. Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we, John says we, the pastors, John, we also bear record. And you know that our record is true. Now, thankfully, Diotrephes was in the minority in the apostolic church that John is writing to. There are lots of wonderful, faithful, submitted, positive, prayerful people like Demetrius to pattern your life after. Demetrius' attitude and actions, John says, he has a good report from the church family. He has a good report from the Word of God. In other words, he keeps the commandments of God. And he has a good report from us, John said. He has a good report from the pastors. It's always a good sign if your pastor smiles when he sees your number on the phone instead of sighs when he sees your number on the phone. It's always a wonderful thing when your pastor wants to run and hug you and not run away from you when he sees you in the church lobby. Except for now because he can't hug you. But see, this is Demetrius. He had a good report of the church family. He had a good report of the Word of God when you lined his life up against the Word of God. And he had a good report from his pastor. John, let me tell you something about CCC. We have a truckload of good people just like that in our church. I'm sure we've got a diatrophies somewhere. But they're doing something else tonight. They ain't here. They're probably sitting at home talking about all of us. Don't you imagine? They might even have the webcast on while they're munching their chocolate chip cookie in their pajamas with their hair uncombed at 8.20 at night. And they're criticizing some of you good people. (laughs) That's a diatrophies. John says, don't be like diatrophies. Have we got that? Be like Gaius. Be like Demetrius. There are lots of good godly people to pattern your life after. And we have a truckload of those kind of people in this local church. And we're so grateful. And John ends this letter just like he ended the other one. He just kind of comes down off this. It's like this big apostolic rant. And then he said, well, I had many other things I could have written. Man, it would have got really good if he had just kept writing I had many other things to write. He would have named some names if he have kept going. But I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Isn't face to face wonderful? I know we've lived through almost a year now of these crazy restrictions, and we don't throw stones and criticize everybody and whatever. We just try to get along and go along and do what we can. And have as much church as they'll allow us to have, and we're trying to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. But I got to say, isn't face to face so much better than sitting home staring at a little screen, trying to pretend you're part of whatever's going on across the city? It's just wonderful. Thank you to those of you that are watching tonight, because we can't get you all in. Thank you for all of you people that you. <laughs> it's it's just like the lottery when we release like church services. It's like. It's like the moose draw or something. It's amazing. We're so proud of you. It's like, wow. You know, a rock concert has nothing on us. We sell out in just a minute or two. It's amazing. It's, it's awesome. We're so thankful. But John said, I want to come see you face to face. There's something about being together as a family of God. It's not the same. Trying to be part of a church family when you're not connected to a church family. It's just not the same. He said... Um, Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Now John was planning to visit this church shortly because he wanted, like we love, some face-to-face fellowship. And he closes his letter by saying something that I'll leave with you at the end of Bible study tonight. Greet the friends by name. You miss it if you don't think about it. A church is not just a fellowship. It's a family It's a good thing to get to know some of your brothers and sisters so that when you see them, you can greet them by name. That they're not just a semi-familiar face that happens to show up at the same building you go to a couple of times a week. But they're actually somebody that you know about them and you care about them and you greet them by name. I don't think that's just a casual throwaway line. I think that's a wonderful principle. It's a great thing to be part of God's family, but God's family is a family. I I know we have this wonderful term that we all love to use, brother and sister. We joke about it in the office. Brother and sister covers a multitude of sins. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. You don't have a clue who they are it's almost as bad as that Pentecostal lie I'm praying for you when you're not greet the friends by name we get to be part of this thing we get to be part of this family and we get to go to heaven together so John said how about we keep this knit so tightly that false doctrine and false teachers and false prophecies can't get a leg to stand on. They can't get in because this is family and we look out for each other and we guard each other. And most of all, we love God, we love each other, and we love, yes, we do, the truth. Isn't it beautiful? I'd love to pray for you before we go. Would you just lift up your hands and let's pray together before we leave Bible study tonight. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for what an honor and what an opportunity you've given me and these precious people have given me to teach your word tonight. And I pray that something from John's pen 2,000 years ago, when he was facing a difficult environment and when he was facing attacks against the truth and when he was facing opposition to the church, I pray that you would take something from that and you would strengthen our, our saints, you would strengthen our homes and you would strengthen our church family. It is a great privilege to go to heaven with all of these brothers and sisters that you have brought into this local body of believers. I thank you, Jesus, for our church. I thank you for each one of them. And I thank you most of all for this truth that came to us and changed us and has set us on the road to heaven. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. And there's only one thing left. Would you lift up your hands and your voice and just give Jesus thanks for this wonderful, wonderful gospel truth that we get to know and love and live. What a privilege we have to be part of the church, the redeemed, the the family of God, the bride of Christ. What a privilege it is. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, God. I love you, God. I worship you, Jesus.